Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on the journey into the crucible for a weekly or sometimes fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its wonderful community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I'm still somehow here as your co-host, Ed Pocock, along with hot off being announced as the showrunner for all 10 of Disney Plus's new Keyforge shows, I'm joined by my brother from across the world's largest garden pond. It's Zachary Armstrong. How are you doing, oh, Zach? Oh, hey, hey, Ed, sorry for the delay. I was just, um, I was trying to find my laptop through the pile of uh, scripts for the, the Keyforge, <laughs> the Keyforge thing. Kevin, Kevin Feige has been, has been just texting me all day and the, the dude's just, he gets a little annoying sometimes. He's very eager, very smart, but you know, I can't always text him back. What a wonderful opportunity there, Zach. What a wonderful <laughs> opportunity. Yes, yes. Uh, I did have to steer the producers away um, from some of the more Martian titles for things just because they do not Google well. Like if you tell somebody, oh, yeah, I was watching Zizix, the, Men- the many adventures of Zizix, the many. It's just so difficult to Google that. It's like the Milo Zyloto problem all over again. <laughs> People don't learn. People don't learn. Well, it's amazing that the first Keyforge book had such an impact to the global media business. Uh, yes, yeah, that was that was a surprise that Disney made the call solely based uh, on the interview you had with Lottie a few months ago. That was really serendipitous. Well, what can I say? I mean, they will deep cuts, deep podcast cuts. Hope, hopefully, they'll uh, they'll commission a series for the Old Kingdom as well. The Goth Knicks <laughs> books. I'm going to evangelize about them for anyone that hasn't read them. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sabriel, I think. A Sabriel, indeed. Yeah, Sabriel, indeed. If yeah. you haven't read it yet, Zach, I might refuse to do this episode. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, happily, I did read them, but a very long time ago, I believe, in in some of the middle grades. So they would probably be worth uh, a revisit for me. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, once I get done um, directing the pilot for uh, The Many Adventures of Zizek the Many. <laughs> the Many Adventures of Zizek the Many. Uh, I hope there's not too many episodes there. Um, so, Zach, if you can remember beyond all of your Disney commitments, um, what are we what are we talking about today? Oh, we're recording. Oh my gosh! Right, this is called Discovery. Uh, my gosh, we we have a series of episodes which I guess we can now call a series because this is the second one where we do retrospectives. Yes, that is an Ed Pocock original pun. Ladies, gentlemen, archons, all where we look back at a set, a number of uh, a long number of months after it comes out to say uh, what shook out from that set, what some of the great art, what some of the great cards, what cards had effects on the meta, what 
is the set looking like uh, in the context of a few sets after it as well? And what what glorious, glorious set do we get to discuss today, Ed? We are discussing the Age of Ascension. The Age of Ascension! <laughs> This is, of course, Keyforge's second set, illustrious second set. Um, and if you missed our first set retrospective episode, you heard it first here, uh, go back to episode 25. That was our Call of the Archons, Keyforge's first set retrospective. So today we are going to be doing three things. First of all, we're going to be looking back at quite what happened with AOA. What did people think of it? What were the hot cards? What was going on in the wider world of Keyforge? And then we're going to talk about some of our favorite decks from the set and some of the memorable moments that we've both had um, that accompany them. And uh, of course, the, the grand finale will be presenting our very real Call of Discovery awards that are not imaginary and are definitely staring at both Zach and I right now, as voted for by our wonderful, glorious Call of Discovery patrons. Mm-hmm. Yes, these awards are looking so good, Ed. The awards that are sitting uh, in the middle of the table, which we are both sitting at, because Ed and I have definitely met in person, and these are golden compasses on little pedestals. Um, uh, we have locked Philip Pullman out of the house for, for copyright infringement, um, and we have we have all of the winners of the categories in these neat little envelopes now. We're just not allowed to call it an alethiometer. As long as we don't do that, we're oh, absolutely bleep fine. Bleep it out, bleep it out, Ed, bleep it out. <laughs> oh, okay, so Zach, rewind. Let's rewind. The time is May 2019. The mm. word coronavirus is not in the, the psyche of people. So so what were you doing in, in May 2019? In May of 2019, I was six months into a new job. I was playing Keyforge locally as much as possible, bopping around. I believe uh, I was definitely going to organize play at that time. Uh, that may have been around the time of, uh, or just after, uh, that was a few months after Vault Tour Atlanta, I believe. So uh, there was quite a lot of organized play going on, traveling, seeing Keyforge friends, and just really diving into the game. Uh, really diving into the game and uh, enjoying my time uh, six months into living in Athens, Georgia. Awesome. And and for me, I got on a train and I attended the one and only UK Vault Tour without seeing any of the Age of Ascension cards first. This was the release weekend for the set. Uh, but sadly, I did not make the right call out of my three sealed decks. Um, I had a great time, though. It was 400 Keyforge players. Can you even imagine getting 400 people in a shared space together? The amount of anxiety that that would cause us all wow. after a year of self-isolation, pretty much. My, my goodness, yeah, that is... Uh, I look forward to when that is a reasonable possibility again. I look oh, forward yes. to it. Oh, yes. Oh, goodness. So what were the first thoughts on Age of Ascension in the, in the Keyforge community? Well, as people dove into Age of Ascension, of course, all we had to compare it to was Call of the Archons. Call of the Archons, of course, having some high highs and low lows as far as how competitive a deck would be in any given matchup. And with Age of Ascension, uh, there was not as much amber control as Call of the Archons had. It was a bit thinner spread. Uh, there were some there were some haymaker cards, but they were usually at uh, usually at uh, uncommon 
or or rarer. And uh, it was a bit of a slower set. A lot of creatures that would come down onto the board, things focused on slowing down reaping. And the initial reactions as people really dove into the set was that it just couldn't really stand up to Call of the Archons in an average deck versus an average deck. Call of the Archons was usually faster, had a bit more, a few more tricks up its sleeve. And Age of Ascension was a bit slower. And if you're just opening a random Age of Ascension deck, there's a chance you're going to have very little uh, amber control, which is uh, a usually very important part of a deck. You don't always need it, but if your deck is slow, you definitely need amber control. But it was and is an exceptional set to play sealed because of that less variation because the decks are yeah you can open two decks and unless you've got one of those unfathomable combos like Mm -hmm. martian generosity the card that um for for the uninitiated lets you basically draw your entire deck if you play it right Mm -hmm. um unless you get that you you've got roughly something that's similar to the 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 other player, and there's just a bit more skill testing nuance to Age of Ascension than there is Call of the Archons. I think you know it's not just play what cards you have the most of, you know, cards uh, hand plus board. It, it it rewards you for making some more strategic decisions and really knowing the set and really knowing the interplay. So I think sealed was sealed was awesome. Sealed was awesome. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. People did have uh, a lot of fun with sealed because, like you said, the decks were just tended to be a bit more, a bit more even, a bit more even, especially in a get three pick one uh, competitive situation. So, a lot of praise for AOA in that. Definitely very skill testing. It does test your basics of Keyforge when you play Age of Ascension Seal. That's a lot of fun. Absolutely. And, and Zach, do you remember the storm in the proverbial Keyforge teacup that was the Archimedes and destroyed triggers? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, a little bit of Keyforge uh, history here, especially if you're listening to this later. Uh, Archimedes is, of course, the two-power Logos creature in Age of Ascension, elusive, and it says, each of Archimedes' neighbors gains destroyed, archive this creature. Now, uh, the common sense way to play this, right, would be that uh, if there is a board wipe, say, uh, that you would just archive Archimedes' neighbors and then everything else gets destroyed. Say there was a gateway to this that destroys all creatures. However, there was a ruling at a particular tournament that said, well, uh, everything is going to be destroyed and but Archimedes neighbors probably get archived first, but then two other creatures fall inside and become Archimedes neighbors and they gain that destroyed trigger. And so Archimedes actually archives the entire board except for itself when a board wipe is played. That was a bit counterintuitive to some people and made Archimedes a very, very strong card uh, before, of course, um, some new timing charts were released some number of months later, uh, clarifying the destroyed rulings, which we won't get into now. But long story short, it made it operate like everyone thought it should operate a bit more common sense. Still a very good card, especially in combination with things like Bouncing Death Quark. Uh, but that was the subject of much discussion, much deliberation, much uh, uh, you know value judgments on the state of the rules in Keyforge at the time. Uh, but but we got through it. We got through it, and now Archimedes is uh, a comfortably strong card. A comfortably strong card. Absolutely, and beautifully painted. My I add by Natalie Russo. Oh yes, oh yes, some absolutely amazing art. Love the the cybernetic owl companion of, of Quixel the Adventurer, uh, and the Qmex are actually a part of that assembly too. The Qmex do things when Archimedes mm. is just uh, is just can't be bothered. When Archimedes can't be bothered, the Qmex go in. 
Cumex, of course, being one of our favorite mass mutations cards. Yes, yes, yes. The tiny, tiny little archive happy, archive happy little buddies. Archive happy. <laughs> I love that. You don't even need to say what exactly it does because <laughs> that, that sums it up so well. Yes, that sums yes. it up so well. For, yeah, for yeah. anyone that hasn't come across a Cumex, you already know what it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, aside, aside from that, so even so, Ed, even with the Archimedes ruling, and as we talked about, the average Age of Ascension deck, you know, against an average deck from another set, might not have the best of chances. However, Age of Ascension has some really strong cards or two card combos that just blow other stuff out of the water and are strong in ways that people sometimes aren't used to seeing what what are some of the standout cards and combinations that we saw in age of ascension that still make a splash today yeah and i think it's awesome that these decks that have these in just feel so memorable as well they just feel so memorable they do do. and they really stand out in 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 your collection when you find them so one of them is of course ganganor that that huge combo of the brobnar giants between ganga chieftain ready and fight with your neighbor and then drum and all that allows you to play it and play it again until you hit Keyforge's nefarious rule of six. Um, there is binary rupture, interdimensional graft, which allows you to massively up your opponent's amber and then take it all away. Um, and there is, of course, Martian generosity, which, as I said earlier, is a skill testing card. Certainly. But if you get it right, you can pretty much draw your entire deck in one turn. Mm-hmm. And um, I think games are quite often a foregone conclusion, particularly when you have key cheats in Mars. That is, of course, key abduction. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the keen-eared listener will know that there is one particularly uh, famous deck that has been on this podcast, piloted by Nathan of Tabletop Roy Algoa, and check out his episode where he talks about Confage, Lady General of the Keep, who has both Gangernaut and Martian Generosity. He piloted that deck to victory at the sealed Vault Tour Richmond, which was Age of Ascension. Um, an awful lot of fun to hear him talk about that deck, and that deck, uh, long story short, is still highly competitive, uh, in many matchups, uh, even though it's Age of Ascension, it is it is an absolutely tops deck that doesn't even have a, a key cheat in in Mars to take advantage of its Martian generosity. It's um, definitely check it out. It's a very special deck that that you should be familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the reason why we we do set retrospectives eighteen months after the set's released is because this gives us the the kind of the set the the space i'd say and i would say that if you put a box of age of ascension in a an oak barrel and uh, and you you leave it for 18 months and you take it out i think it's quite a good vintage sack i really do i i think it's a very good vintage indeed particularly if you're playing adaptive what do you think mm. Yes, I I agree. I agree. Now, the the adaptive meta, uh, some of the thoughts currently are you want to have the stronger deck in the matchup with uh, with that. So I think a strong Age of Ascension deck would be great for adaptive, especially in the years to come if people just aren't as used to seeing uh, the Ganger Not Compo, Martian Generosity, Brig, that sort of thing. Uh, so mm. I, I think so. I think I think it's going to be a delightful vintage. Uh, now that, of course, the use of the word vintage raises the question: Do you call a uh, do you call a Age of Ascension deck after after its Archon name or the town at which it was opened? 
Is this a trick question? Uh, no, it's a, it's a wine joke. It's a wine joke that like one person listening to the podcast will get so we can just move on. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure, Zach. What do you call an Age of Ascension deck? Well, if you're if you're in France, you would call the Age of Ascension deck after the town you opened it in. If you're anywhere else, you would call it by its name. That's It's a, it's a bad oh. wine joke. We can... Yeah, you're, you're actually right. I never thought about that. Uh, shout, out, shout out to AFK, the French Keyforge Association, and all of their lovely people so you should start calling your decks after after the place you open them i think for a little a little bit of national a little bit of a, a national consistency there well asmodee is french so we are officially Ooh. now their favorite podcast oh there we go there we go <laughs> there and we you go. mentioned adaptive zach and i, I i'm slightly aware that some of our listeners might not even know what adaptive is because when age of ascension was a thing when we were meeting in person i think one of the reasons why Age of Ascension got sort of a bad rep in some elements of the Keyforge community was because we were all playing a lot of Archon where the most powerful decks really went out. And as we said, Age of Ascension didn't have many answers to Call of the Archons. But Adaptive is where you play you play your deck, your opponent plays your deck, and then you bid chains to see you know which deck do you want to play. And I think that's where that skill testing component of Age of Ascension that rewards you for really knowing how to play a deck comes in and why maybe it's aged a little bit better. Yeah, certainly, certainly. There are there are certainly some weird tricks in in Age of Ascension that you have to plan for, hold cards for, just charge ahead for. It's uh yeah, and they play very differently than other sets. That's true. That's true. Indeed. And and also, I think how do you feel, Zach, that Age of Ascension compares with the latter sets, the Worlds Collide and Mass Mutations? Does it have more answers for what is going to be thrown at it from the Saurians and the Star Alliance? Oh, uh, unfortunately, I don't think in just like an average Archon solo matchup, there's, you know, not as many more answers than another set had, right? For Worlds Collide, the Saurians, uh, or perhaps, um, I don't even know what you would consider an answer for uh, Mass Mutation Dis or, or Logos, perhaps, right? But well, well, I think perhaps it's Archon solo power level is is a, a bit under some of the others. I think the the enjoyment of the set in that sealed play is very strong, um, and it's just a fun set to get to know. And I think those strong decks aren't as rare as perhaps people people believe. We have seen people have kind of surprising performances with AOA decks getting to top four of, of Vault Tours. Um, we saw the aforementioned Kant Phage uh, completely uh, take out, except for the very end, the winner's bracket of a large online tournament with some of the best, uh, some of the best players around. So uh, while I think I would agree with perhaps the average AOA deck versus the average Worlds Collide deck, AOA may not have uh, the best chance. Uh, I think it has a better chance than people write it off to have. I also think those strong decks are more common and just need to know what to look for. And people perhaps haven't dove into AOA as deeply because of those prejudices uh, and found that strong stuff, the stuff you can do with a, a just calling a main house of a Mars board over and over again with Nizix Resonator and Glixel Proliferator. And uh, and um, we have both of the archive enemy creatures creatures in Age of Ascension. We have Zookeeper and uh, Collector Worm in, in that set. So there's all of these possibilities of, of these strong combos that the other sets just don't have in Age of Ascension. So uh, I, I agree that 
probably a touch underpowered compared to other sets, but I think it has a perfectly uh, a perfectly happy place in the family of Keyforge sets. Totally, totally agree. And with that in mind, shall we start talking about some of our favorite decks in our own collections from Age of Ascension and the the memorable moments that accompany them? So, oh, of course, Zach. Anyone that's I guess seen you in the Keyforge community might know that you're you're after a little known combo that is Rocket Boots and Tesmol. So <laughs> yes. for, for those for those who haven't seen Rocket Boots and or Tesmol, what do they do and how do they work together? So Tesmol is the two-power disc creature that says, Reap, choose a house. Your opponent cannot pick that house as their active house on their next turn. Uh, so, of course, it is some nice house manipulation that we have seen in this before. It is denying a single house instead of the control of the week, where it says you must pick a house. It's you cannot pick the house. And it's technically repeatable. It's on a reap, which is nice. However, it's on a creature, which means it can be killed. Uh, the algorithm has locked Tesmol to max two Tesmols in a single deck, and they never appear with Restoring Guntis, which is the one power uh, creature that has made appearances in few sets that says play, choose a house. Your opponent cannot pick that house until Tes- until Restoring Guntis leaves play. So they never appear together. Tesmol appears in most twos because the way the rules work is that if you got three reaps with Tesmol, and you picked all three houses, you have said you cannot choose this house, you cannot choose the second house, you cannot choose the third house. So you have actually truly locked your opponent out uh, out of playing a turn, and they take a turn with no active house, only able to use Omni abilities and and things like that. Some people will remember, we won't dive into the details, but some people will remember that Control the Week and Restoring Guntis used to have a combo where you could lock people out of an active house. However, they clarified the rules where you actually can't do it with that particular combo, but Rocket Tesmol has survived that ruling, where if you get it that reap three times, uh, you can lock them out of all three houses. Now, of course, we're locked to two Tesmols in a deck, so you say, oh, Zach, but the designers, they have said, ha, 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 Zach Armstrong, take that. You may not have three Tesmols unless you get a lucky Hypnobeam. Now, this is where Rocket Boots comes in, because Rocket Boots says this creature gains uh, fight slash reap. If this was the first time this creature was used this turn, ready it. So if you put a Rocket Boots on a Tesmol, you can get two reaps out of a single Tesmol, calling two different houses, and then with your second Tesmol, you reap a third time, and you call the third house. Now, of course, the trickiness is your Tesmols have to survive, and it's really only ideal if you can get everything out in a single turn. And so your your opponent only has one turn to answer before, before the combo goes off and ends the game. And I happen to own a deck with the perfect Rocket-Tesmol combination. I own many with Rocket Boots and Tesmol, but most of them take a bunch of turns to get set up. I do own one that has three helper bots, which means you can helper bot, helper bot, Tesmol, Tesmol, Rocket Boots, pass turn. And if your opponent hasn't held an Axiom or a Twin Bolt, then it's game over. However... Most people playing competitively have seen this and see my Tesmals, and they hold a very simple card like an Axiom or a, a Twin Bolt, and just end the combo right there. However, a boy can dream. I'm not under any. I'm not under any. Uh, uh, you know, deception that this is a particularly easy combo to to affect to to get to lock somebody out of a game. However, it just has a special place in my heart there. So Rocket Tesmol, if you have any terrible Rocket Tesmol decks you never want to play and you want to give me a little glimpse of joy in during this uh, pandemic, send it my way. I will pay you two dollars for it. USD. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's clear that you're very passionate about it and that you've given every sort of permutation of what could happen with that deck a lot of <laughs> a lot of thought. I love it. That, that, love was, it. that was a bit more of a rant than I was planning on, but I do what? I do adore this lockout combo. <laughs> I do fear that some of our listeners might question your spot, Zach, as the nicest guy in Keyforge by considering a lockout combo a, uh, mm. a positive thing because it is definitely unfun for your opponent. But mm. I say to those listeners, consider this. By sharing his knowledge with the Keyforge community, Zach has just trebled the price of every single good Rocket Tesmal deck out there, <laughs> making it thus harder for himself to procure one. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm, I'm not sure if my enjoyment of the combo will carry quite that much weight with all of those Keyforge investors out there, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'll watch the market. I'll watch the market. People are seeing dollar signs. It's happening. <laughs> Or perhaps dollar signs with uh, that's maybe all they'll get for them most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) And Ed, you you've got you've got some things, some decks you've really enjoyed from the set, don't you? I do, I do. I, I, a lot of my most memorable moments in Keyforge were with this set because it was that time that. I was actually able to go out and see people and play with other people. And there were a lot of events going on in Europe then. So I've got one deck that, that holds a special place in my heart. And it's 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 not a world-beating deck, but it's just fun. It's called Gorlo Conservatory Recluse. It is in our notes. Um, it's a Dis Logos Sanctum lineup. And it's got three Grey Riders in it, which is the card that allows you to... It's it's kind of the Gang of Chieftain of Sanctum. It allows you to do stuff with the neighbours of Grey Rider. And uh, it's got a Oath of Poverty in it with a rather nice number of artefacts, which means if you put a load of artefacts out on the field, you can cash in on those at a later date and hopefully win the game. I was in Krakow in Poland for, for a Vault Tour, having a great time there. And we had a an AOA Archon uh, event, which was bring your own deck into it, but the set is just Age of Ascension, which was, I think, one of the most fun events I've ever done because when you narrow it down to a single set but people can bring their own, then it's really, really... It's a different meta than standard Archon, and it really gave some of those Age of Ascension decks room to thrive. Um, and I did something, Zach, that is quite rare for me. I found myself at the top table. Um, I, I, actually, exceedingly rare for me, because listeners will know that I do not have a competitive bone in my body. And I found myself across the table from good friend Lady Aurora. And uh, she is a fantastic Keyforge player. So I was slightly anxious going into that. Um, But I sat down and I started playing this deck and I just love this deck. It's just so fun. It's got some answers in discs. It's got, you know, your standard Exhume, your Restoring Guntus. We've just been talking about lock combos. Restoring Guntus, of course, says, no, 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 you cannot play this house. And I think I... I said, no, you can't play Mars because I didn't want any of that Martian generosity shenanigans. But of course, Aurora, she was playing her uh, very well-known, I think, double Martian generosity or double key abduction. It's double one of the two and deck. And I thought I'd got it in the bag. I was so close to winning. And then all of a sudden, it's Martian generosity key abduction. 
and again and again and i was just yeah <laughs> it was it was over before it started but it was it was just incredible seeing a deck like that in action and seeing seeing my my little deck actually hold its own for the majority of the game <laughs> Oh, that's that's lovely. Yeah, what what a great experience to to be able to travel out there, play against someone like like Lady Aurora, and and uh, and try to go toe to toe with uh, one of the big decks in Keyforge. That's awesome. I was. I think we're very lucky in 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 the in the UK in Europe that we've got so many different places on our doorstep that we can get to within two or three hours. Um, it's incredible, and Keyforge was such a great conduit for for meeting people that you otherwise just wouldn't have come into contact with and i'm really really hoping that we can get back to that sometime soon yes certainly certainly Mm. and zach you have picked up some interesting age of ascension decks recently i believe I have. I found some Age of Ascension for about $40 for a display case online. And I was like, well, uh, I've got an extra 40 bucks. I can't pass that up. And I've uh, popped it open and just found some fun stuff in Age of Ascension. There was uh, on if you uh, I'll post my Twitter post in the show notes here. There is a I got a Maverick feel of the researcher, the one power elusive creature from originally from Logos who says, after a creature is played adjacent to Fila the Researcher, draw a card. Of course, she was in this set to attempt to take advantage of the deploy mechanic, where you can play a creature to any place in your battle line. However, unfortunately, I never really saw much of a deck where she happened to be effective uh, for that reason. I got her Mavericked into Brobnar with a Drummer Knot, which can return friendly giants to hand, which means I can just repeatedly play giants next to Fila at least uh, twice per turn and uh, just have an awful lot of fun. An awful lot of fun drawing just a couple extra cards in Brobnar. Um, I also opened uh, another one of the famous Age of Ascension Brobnar cards, uh, Grump Buggy, that uh, is is symmetrical. It raises either player's key cost if their opponent has uh, one amber per creature of five power or higher. And I opened a double Grump Buggy deck with uh, a double grump buggy deck with uh, ganger chieftain potion of invulnerability um, and some uh, some other things that just make uh, make it all a lot of fun and it's held its own uh, double exhume double Ronnie wrist clocks the, the the famous largest amber control card really in in age of ascension um, and I've been having quite a bit of fun with them and, and with one of them some success in the competitive queue on the crucible online so it's uh, yeah it's really refreshed my my love of age of ascension being able to dive through this box and find all sorts of fun fun things when you go back and you look at your Age of Ascension decks in a new light, you might just find some of those hidden gems that you hadn't seen before, but in the context of set three and four as well, might just spark your interest. Well, I've got one more deck that I want to quickly chat about, Zach, because I think it's a pretty special deck, um, but it's the one deck I have in my whole collection that I'm not sure if I enjoy playing. Um, oh, and which is quite a rare thing, I think. You know, I'm I'm not usually a, a negative person, but I took this to it's I took this to a prime actually, and um it was one of the the uh the lowest ranked decks in the prime. Um but it's got some really interesting stuff going on. It's got two heart of the forests, which is the I think infamous at this point Keyforge card that mm-hmm. says 
Each player cannot forge keys whilst they have more forged keys than their opponent. So you can literally pause the game and then you can essentially set it up for an interesting time that you want to, to kind of start playing the game again and and then go ahead and finish it. I've got two Hearts of the Forest in this deck, so not just one. I can get it reliably, um, and I've got all kinds of interesting tricks. It's, it's a bit like an Age of Ascension Greatest Hits. It's you know got Archimedes, Helper Bot. It's got a Brig Combo, Binate Rupture, Interdimensional Graft, so I can really up the Amber Supply and nick it from the opponent after I've let them forge keys again. Ooh. It's got a Choda Hasri, our favourite dysfunctional Father Christmas. allows you to, to forge a key. Um, it's a key cheat. It's it's got all sorts going on, and yet every time it hit the table, you know, one of the things, the thing that I love about Keyforge most, it's not winning. It's about meeting people and chatting with people, and I get the feeling that by playing this deck, I instantly made the whole table have bad feeling because it's 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 a, it's almost like playing a different game um, when you play Heart of the Forest down, and you know, I felt I had to apologise for playing this deck. And I, I think it's one time I've I've come out of a tournament. I felt I I just yeah I just I wish I'd taken another deck. I mean I didn't play that well with it. I, this is a very skill testing deck, and it requires you to make your decisions perfectly. If you do make those decisions perfectly, then it is very difficult to lose unless your opponent has a lot of artifact control. But even so, I don't think it's worth playing for that reason. Sure, sure. When you said, you know, going to the event to get to know people, I'm like, well, bringing a Heart of the Forest deck will give you plenty of time to get to know someone and how they deal with frustration. So (laughs) (laughs) starting starting off on a particular foot there with the Heart of the Forest. Mm, I think we've all had so much frustration this year that when we start going back and seeing people in person, I will not be playing Heart of the Forest. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. But uh, even if Heart of the Forest makes people frustrated, you know what people do like, Ed? What do people like, Zach? I think people still like award shows, Ed. Are we going to announce, and the winner is <laughs> La La Land. No, oh, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, some of these cards are just playing to the academy here. Definitely, that's uh, that's for sure. That's for sure. Indeed, indeed. Well, we've certainly had more Keyforge cards released this year than we have films. That's for sure. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, yeah, with with our awards, Ed, what kind of categories are we about to dive into? Oh well, uh, we. I, I mean, I would say we've got some fun ones because we came up with them ourselves, but uh, <laughs> they are fun. Literally, they are. They um, are. So our first award is for the most infamous card. Dun dun dun. And um, we've got we've got three nominees for each of these. We've just been talking about Heart of the Forest. Um, so I don't think we need to dive into that in any more detail. We spoke a little bit earlier about Archimedes, um, everyone's favorite cute little uh, robot owl, um, and it's Detro- destroyed trigger debacles. Um, but the third nomination and the, the nomination that this this goes to is, of course, Martian generosity, because everybody knows that Martians indeed are not generous. And um, this card indeed is not generous to its opponent in allowing you to draw pretty much your entire deck. Sorry, just to 
Uh, so did Martian Generosity win? Yes. Yeah, sorry, oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't add that one on there by accident. My apologies. Oh, gotcha. No worries. The others say W in front of the winner. Yes, I see. Yeah, I see that. Okay, cool. So, yes, congrats to Martian Generosity, uh, which won the vote. I think as far as a meta impact, it is certainly the most infamous. Uh, there is all sorts of you know groaning if you see it on somebody's Archon list when you go against them. Heart of the Force, of course, getting the honorable, honorable mention as uh, people question its existence in the card pool based on what mm. it turns games into. You've actually seen... Uh, some bigger competitions online ban Heart of the Forest uh, because the organizers are saying, hey, we don't want the kind of games that that creates uh, with Heart mm. of the Forest. So I think Martian Generosity certainly takes it, but Heart of the Forest, as uh, we even mentioned right before we, with Ed's stories, before we dove into the awards here, uh, Heart of the Forest <laughs> has certainly made its mark on that category. And I think we have to say here that we are not against cards that change the way the game plays. You know, we've we've seen other artifacts, Quixel Stone and um, Fangtooth Cavern, to name a couple, that change the game in really interesting ways and say, you've got to play the game differently now. Your game plan has to change, which is great. And all best sports that we watch and play, you know, if one team comes into it with a different game plan, then the opponents have to uh, have to maybe adapt which I think, yeah, we love that in Keyforge. That's awesome. Um, it's just the very nature of Heart of the Forest that can be a bit of a challenge there. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And what is our next category, Zachary? Our next category is Best Art. Of course, we all know and love the art in Keyforge. It is whimsical. It is sometimes dangerous looking. It is always colorful and interesting and helps build the world of the crucible. So Ed, who are our nominations for the best art category? Mm, Martian generosity. This has to be some of the best Keyforge art you've ever seen. I mean, everyone's thinking Martian generosity are Martians generous. Are they known to be generous? And the art very much says that they're not. Um, so the artist here is a Marco Fiendler, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Marco. Do forgive me if I'm not, um, but it is just some incredible art. Yes, yes. So, yeah, the nominees there, that's Martian Generosity, and then we have both of the Panpacas, Panpaca Anga and Panpaca mm. Jaga, both illustrated by uh, Liga Schmilkalny. Uh, uh, again, forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, and the fun fact, these uh, parts of their names are uh, twists on the names of... Um, Richard Garfield's twins, Richard Garfield's twins, these untamed creatures, which are uh, essentially uh, foxes that that help out the battle line they're around. And they're very beautiful. They're very Crucible-esque, of course, with strange feathers and, and, and colors and all that sort of thing. And the final card on our shortlist is Soldiers to Flowers by mm. Quentin de Warren. And this is just a, a stunning and actually really kind of thought-provoking card because Keyforge yes. is whimsical, but there's often meanings underneath things. There's layers upon layers under some of these cards. You know, we have a very talented, intelligent design team who each, I think, bring their their own backgrounds into, into Keyforge. And um, anyone that's read any poetry from World War One will find this card strangely evocative i think you know you you've got clearly a war a war war zone here that has has um 
yeah, on Flanders fields, the poppies grow. There, there are there are poppies seen seen in it, and there's a a kind of rising sun, like a new dawn. So I think this card does get a special mention. That you know, even whimsical card games like Keyforge can, I think, tackle and remind us of of really important historic things. Yes, yes, it is. It is an absolutely beautiful card that evokes so much, especially in the context, uh, especially in the context of the title, the title of the card. It, it really mm. says a lot. It really says a mm. lot. But what is our winner, Zach? Our winner is from House Untamed, the creatures Panpacas, Panpaka Anga, and Panpaka Jaga. Because uh, they're so cute. They're so cute. They're they are they are so cute. Yeah, so con- uh, congratulations and thank you, uh, Liga Schmil Kalmi. And what is our next category, Zach? Our next category is pushing design boundaries. Now, with this category, uh, we are looking at Keyforge, of course, is a game where it is doing things that card games really haven't done before. It's been a paradigm shift and thankfully a successful one as far as the game goes. And so we want to look inside of even the rules of Keyforge itself and say, in this new paradigm of a game, where are things going even further? Uh, inside inside of Keyforge. So our nominees for pushing design boundaries are Merkins from House Shadows, the creature, uh, Rigged Lottery, the action from House Shadows, and then from House Untamed, Punctuated Equilibrium. Merkins is a the two-power elf thief creature that says play, choose a random card in your opponent's archives or the top card of your opponent's deck, play that card as if it were yours, which is such a wonderful Shadows interpretation of Wild Wormhole, the card that allows you to play the top card of your own deck. It is madness. It is crazy, and it is so fun. So I kind of I kind of wish... I kind of wish I had a deck with three or four of these in just to see what <laughs> madness I could I could could ensue how, how I could mess with my opponent's game plan. Yes, uh, yeah, Merkin's awfully fun, awfully fun. And with that that great choice of using the the archives, perhaps they you think they've stashed something important there that you want to uh, take away from them. So, yeah, really, really fun card does really interesting things, very chaotic things. And then Rigged Lottery from House Shadows. So it's the action card. It does give you a pip of amber and it reads each player discards the top five cards of their deck for each Shadows card discarded. Its owner gains one amber. Now, this, of course, is pointing directly at Keyforge's faction system, its house system, where a deck is made of three houses, and that house restriction of calling an active house is really, uh, in a way, the, the, the spiritual replacement for resource costs that you see in other card games. So this points directly at, at the, the house, the faction uh, restriction paradigm in Keyforge, and uh, you know, it lets you cheat a little bit if your opponent doesn't have shadows. And I think you're also able to keep rigged lottery inside of Keyforge because uh, if you built, if you were able to build a deck around the rigged lottery, you would be able to get amazing consistency off of it. In fact, probably game breaking consistency. But because this is a rare card that is going to be in a deck with other random cards, and you are not going to have the exact amount of deck manipulation that you want, of which there's not a ton, uh, that's why this card can exist because it's not constructed. Absolutely. And I think that that is one of the main criteria for this for Keyforge, that a lot of these cards that we put in pushing design boundaries just would not be possible in any constructed game. Yes. 
Yes, uh, or at least would be completely broken uh, if they were if they were released. <laughs> if they were released, and of course, the last one, Punctuated Equilibrium, is another card similar to Rigged Lottery that, if it ex- existed in constructed, like many cards in Keyforge, uh, would be completely busted. But being in a random deck, uh, of course, it has uh, a bit more of a reasonable life and still very powerful. It's, of course, the untamed action that reads each player discards their hand, then refills their hand as if it were their draw cards step. Now, of course, it is a simultaneous uh, mirrored mirrored action. However, of course, it benefits the the uh, the active player as they get to just keep playing untamed or whatever house they've called if they house cheated the card out. So it's very good. It interacts with hands. It, it, it is a simple repeating of the draw at the end of the turn mechanic that Keyforge has. Uh, but even that just very simply mirroring another part of Keyforge's basic structure makes it a very, uh, very powerful card. Of course, uh, famously existing in Mass Mutation along some great uh, synergies there. Uh, but having first come to us in, uh, in Age of Ascension and being also in Worlds Collide. So in, in every set so far, and we'll see if it makes a return for for dark tidings indeed we shall and uh shall i announce the winner zach i think i think you shall ed well well the winner the winner of this chosen of course by our wonderful patreons is punctuated equilibrium whether it be because it's in multiple sets or it just creates so much fun and chaos mm. um, I, I i love that card i love that card so much it's it's awesome Moving on, this is our category on long-term impact. And what do we mean by that? We mean 18 months down the line, that is today. How do these cards, which cards impact the meta most today? And which cards do we think will impact the meta just as much or potentially even more in the future? And uh, Zach, what are our nominations for this one? They are certainly likely suspects. So these cards for long-term impact, the nominees are uh, Heart of the Forest, making a repeat appearance, also making a repeat appearance, Martian Generosity, and then lastly, proving that there might be other reasons Ed isn't competitive, because this is more than one card, Binate Rupture and Interdimensional Graft <laughs> as a combo. Uh, so Binate Rupture, Interdimensional Graft, of course, the aforementioned combination where you double everyone's amber and then take all your opponent's amber when they forge. And then Martian Generosity and Heart of the Forest, who we have reviewed already on the podcast, both major, major impact cards that are all still getting discussion today. But who, according to our lovely Patreons, has the long-term impact? Ed, who has walked away with the golden compass in this situation? And the winner is House Owner. Oh, hang on, that's a whole bunch of cards. Oh, I, 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 this whole counting thing, Zach, is just beyond me. Um, but, but in this case, I'm told the winner is Martian Generosity. Martian Generosity. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, uh, I don't think that will sur- uh, surprise anyone that Martian Generosity uh, has taken has taken uh, both most infamous and long term impact here, mm. as uh, as it really is just that good. We have a penultimate category now. We're coming up to the end, and the last one I think is super fun, but this is our difficult decisions category. The cards that make you go, hmm, the cards that are skill testing and the cards that often 
you think twice before playing them or at least when you play them and zach what are our nominations for this those nominations are the action card from house of shadows swindle the artifact from house brobnar grump buggy and the artifact from house untamed oh why is this on here so much heart of the forest uh, for difficult decisions. <laughs> uh, so the heart swind- of the forest. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Again? This card. <laughs> well, heart of the forest we know about, but it is difficult to know when to play it and when not to play it. It's true. Because it's true. you think, actually, should I play this? Is it going to count against me? Am I going to get stuck? Do I actually just want to race ahead and I don't want to have this heart of the forest here holding me back almost? It can benefit your opponent. Swindle is, of course, that card that it has to be the first and last thing you do. So it is the only thing you play in a turn. It clogs up your hand. You can't use anything on board, meaning you could get behind on board. And it says steal three. So it's a huge effect. It's a six amber swing, but at what cost? And this, I think, makes it just such a wonderful card. The artwork on it is exceptional. Um, I have a glorious Worlds Collide deck as well with a uh, mm. a, a Legacy Swindle in it, which I Ooh. absolutely love. And um, playing through some Worlds Collide games at the moment to actually work out what is my top Worlds Collide deck. And my Legacy Swindle made an appearance and won the game, um, which I think was just a fabulous moment. But it's tough because it's equally as easy to use it and then and then lose the game. And Grump Buggy Zach. Yes, and Grump Buggy, of course, the symmetrical effect we reviewed earlier that increases key cost for you and your opponent based on your opponent's creatures of power five or higher. Of course, you need to know how many creatures you have in your deck at that um at that power, but you really need to be able to know your opponent's deck, remember what power different creatures have, uh, see their removal to how to see how quickly they could readjust the key cost back down uh, to to normal for you. So so much so much going on about whether to play it or not, and how to play your removal and your creatures when you have it out because key cost will change all the time with at least one grump buggy out. It certainly does. It certainly does. And uh, do we have a winner, Zach? We do. We do. And the winner for Difficult Decisions is From How Shadows, It's Swindle. <laughs> Indeed it is. Indeed it is. And chosen by our patrons, of course. Of course. No no funny business going on here. No one was paid off for that decision. It is honestly <coughs> Swindle. No recount. No recount needed. <laughs> Certify. Get it out the door. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't look too closely here. Um, and our final category is most flavorful card. Which card and... is the most delicious when you put... Oh, wait. I mean, sorry. <laughs> do people do that? I mean, there was this whole thing, right? And people were kind of licking their PlayStation 5s and Xbox Ooh. Series X to see how they tasted. I hope not. I mean, we, we have... We have had plenty of conversations around what to do with your extra Keyforge decks, but I don't think it's gone that far yet. People are so odd. People are so odd. I mean, I think we've all gone a little bit crazy this year, to be honest. I certainly have. But I haven't started eating Keyforge cards. Not quite yet, anyway. Mm. Um, 
That would be quite desperate. That would be quite desperate indeed. So, Zach, uh, what are our nominations for for our final category? So, for most flavorful card, we have from House Logos, the creature helper bot, from House Shadows, the creature Ronnie Wrist Clocks, and from House Mars, the creature Collector Worm. All creatures in this category represented across uh, three different houses all very flavorful. Uh, what What is the different flavor going on in each of them, Ed? Well, I think uh, one of them's got uh, hints of bergamot and um, real real flavor to it. It's, it was almost a bit bit, bit of lemon, um, whereas I think Ronnie Wristclocks has got much of a deeper a deeper mellow flavor. Um, and, and if we're going to make cheese jokes, we have to go straight to Manchego. <laughs> we have to go straight to Manchego if we're going to make cheese jokes, Ed. I just, I just hate to do this while we're recording. Manchego, my goodness. For real keyboard puns, we we have a minimum standard, Ed. <laughs> and the award to <laughs> Quip of the Day goes to Zach Armstrong. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that was so quick. Honestly, <laughs> listener, there was no gap in there. Nothing was edited out. Zach is genuinely that on it. Have you considered a, a, a career in comedy? Oh, absolutely not. That is entirely too hard. <laughs> I, I will be funny where people think I am funny and nowhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So Helperbot is the uh, Logos card that is super cute. It is, of course, drawn by Natalie Russo, um, who is the, um, the creator of so many of Keyforge's cutest, most whimsical creatures. It's flavorful because it says you may play one non-Logos card this turn, but not just because of that, but because it has a role, I think, in... It's flavorful for, for House Logos because, you know, we've seen we've seen this with Wild Wormhole. It's Wild Wormhole on a stick. It's a creature. But also it's flavorful because it's it's kind of enmeshed into the, the overall vibe of Keyforge. You've got Doc Buxton, Helperbot, and Bot Buxton that all have the same ca- characters in them. And we're starting to see almost a character arc from the cards alone, which is, I think, beautiful. And Ed, you will want to take a pause and they say phase shift on a stick uh, because it's a phase shift on a stick, not a. Uh, well, oh, sorry. Stick. No, you're good. And we have Ronnie Wrist Clocks, who I think is pretty quintessential shadows. He's 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 all about stealing. He's all about you know the graft. He's he's a proper. You you'd imagine that Ronnie Wrist Clocks would be the sort of character that you might see in Ocean's Eleven. Obviously, he has an effect that allows him to steal as well. It says, play, steal one. If your opponent has seven or more, steal two instead. I think when people think Age of Ascension, they think Shadows. Ronnie is the first thing that comes to mind. And that is for a very good reason. Yes. Yes, that's true. And then the very last nominee, of course, is the Mars creature Collector Worm. Two power, five armor. Taking a pause so I can bring it up. Five armor? Ooh. Yes, five armor. It is a beast and it has a fight ability which says archive the creature collector worm fights. If that creature leaves your archives, put it in its owner's hand 
instead. This creature has a very similar effect to uh, the zookeeper that is also in Mars, where this is an abduction. Mars, Mars has an abduction theme, and this worm gets to just take a creature from the battle line, tuck it away in a place where your opponent absolutely cannot get to it unless they're lucky with their Tentatlin, Merkins, or Dasanya, of course. So just absolute, absolute flavor. The art is is honestly gross enough to just thrill me. This is a worm that is even wearing a, a necklace with bones on it and it has tubes. And and it is just out on the mission for the local Martian zoo to take all creatures. And can I add, Zach, that it is compulsory whenever you play a collector worm to make the sound effect. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> yes, nom, 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 nom. That's the absolutely required sound effect when when using collector worm's fight ability there. As you reach over and take your opponent's creature and put it in your archives. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst making awkward eye contact. <laughs> yeah, yes. The awkward eye contact, the signature here at Call of Discovery. And Ed, uh, <laughs> who, who is taking home the awkward eye contact? I mean, the most flavorful card trophy for this category. It is, of course, Collector Worm. Um, it is. It and, is. and I feel we should end the episode here before it goes off the rails anymore. <laughs> it's, it's true because I have just noticed that looking at the art, that Collector Worm doesn't have eyes and therefore the eye contact maybe not possible. Maybe not possible. Well, that's awkward. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Collector Worm, if I offended you. Well, or not having eyes. Well, uh, while we go and try to repair our our friendships with the many weird uh, Martian creatures here in our homes, uh, listener, if you are enjoying Call of Discovery, and oh, is this the right place to walk out? Sorry, sorry Zach, are you calling right. my girlfriend a weird Martian creature? <laughs> if you're enjoying Call of Discovery and are willing and able to support monetarily, our Patreon is linked below, where you can put your own weird and wonderful decks in the spotlight and have a say in our future through our Patreon-only discard. The lovely people of which who got to vote on this particular competition. Uh, did you have anything else, Ed, or shall I just continue through the end here? Just, 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 just continue. We're definitely keeping that one in. Let us know what you'd like to see more of or let of in future shows. You can get with in touch with us uh, on any of the social media that we're on, which is primarily Instagram, Twitter, and a little bit on Facebook. You can also email us at podcast at call of discovery. Dot com. Please subscribe and leave a review on your regular podcast app. And a reminder, if you leave a particularly saucy, over-the-top review, we will read it out here on the podcast for all to hear with our trademark call of discovery, Whimsy. Most importantly, if you think you have a friend who would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? thought you were going to say then if you have a friend please help them discover this podcast (laughs) (laughs) 
I almost I noticed that uh, my sentence could end up in that way. For me. <laughs> what I what I almost considered was was uh, help them. Please help them to discover it. <laughs> Please help them. <laughs> Please help them. <laughs> Have you stared into the eyes of collect worm? <laughs> I wouldn't want to. <laughs> Okay. Have you stared into the steely jaws of a collector worm? <laughs> oh God, I've lost my part. Um, um, I'm, I'm going to press stop recording now, yeah. and we're going to hope that we, we capture this comedy gold.